What's up and welcome to Difficulty Class, a podcast about all things Dungeons and Dragons. I'm one of your hosts, Allie Deitchman, and with me this week is... Trevor Bettis. That's right, and this week we will be talking about the Tyranny of Dragons impressions, well at least our first impressions, and the Xanathar's Guide to Everything review, as well as listening... Hey, hey you did it! I hey. did it! <laughs> as well as answering some listener questions at the end. Trevor, how were your games this week? I almost died for good. Oh my god, that's right. <laughs> I, mi- I I had to miss that game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you you had work. Um, we, uh, we were in a fight, and we were, oh yeah, we we're fighting a bunch of old dead queen witches mm-hmm. peoples. You were frozen. Yeah, yeah. That's we how got, we ended we, you, last time. You you got better. Just a heads up. That's good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the like head queen evil dead witch wraith thing um did a shriek and did 190 damage to me oh my god and i had 111 health total ah. <laughs> so insta dead yeah um but in the same round um dusty did a spell to revive me using his pathfinder magic shit that could just bring you back to life oh you need 80 points right now <laughs> yeah um so I have it in my my character story that like the dude's soul isn't the dude's soul, and so like if he ever dies, his soul gets ejected from the plane. Mm-hmm. So when that happened, and I went down, and I instant I looked at him like, so he's dead, dead, and I just sheer panic. Oh, God. <laughs> um, and so when Dusty did that, uh, Ike says, okay, because it was the same round, I'm going to uh, GM rule it that your soul got pulled back. Mm-hmm. Like it didn't, it was so quick that you didn't actually the, leave. The tether of the soul was still there. But my dude now knows what his next body is going to be. Ooh. And I, so he's like, you have to figure out what that is and let me know. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's actually really freaking cool. And that's, I can't wait to do that. That's pretty neat. <laughs> uh, but we realized that we're two sessions away from finishing the campaign. Uh, how this, long have we been doing this? <laughs> three years. We started in November of uh, 2016, I think. Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we're going to do one more normal session and then we're going to do one long session, uh, at some point in November nice. and, uh, we're, we're going to end this today. Reign of winter will come to an end. Ooh. Um, so yeah, that's pretty exciting. Uh, golden pal still hasn't picked up again yet, but, uh, we might be adding a new player more on that later. Ooh. Um, and yeah, so that was it. How about you? How are your games? Well, I only had one game this week, uh, mostly cause I had to work a lot, but it was a fun game. Um, on Wednesday, Is this a few the roommates our... game. Uh, no, mm. no. Um, on on Wednesday, our usual game was kind of put off because uh, a couple people couldn't make it. Mm-hmm. So instead, uh, buddy Marcos decided to pick up the DM. He's all like, okay, guys, so I'm going to do a thing. I'm going to do it by the seat of my pants, but it's going to be fun. <laughs> and so we made characters, and he's all like, just have an idea for backup characters in mind. And we're like, all right. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, we're in the forest, and we're walking through, and he says, yeah, you find a box, and you open the box, and there's a deck of cards in there. And we're oh, like, no. what? <laughs> he's like, yeah. Your move. <laughs> essentially we had the wonderful opportunity of playing a deck of many things game oh cool yeah and it was kind of brilliant so uh, it was frustrating and awesome all at the same time because like the first card that was pulled was oh add two to any ability score even exceeding 20 and we're like yes (laughs) the second one was pulled was oh minus two to all saving throws and we're like no (laughs) And then I'm like, okay, I'm going to pull two cards. So then I pulled, you get a castle. And I'm like, oh, well, that's cool. So there's a castle over there. At least we have somewhere to go now in this mm-hmm. one shot. And then you lose every magical item on you. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> so my uh, half-work fighter was all of a sudden nothing. <laughs> so I'm like, no. Um, hilariously, we spent like a long time going through magical items before we even started to so it was like the first thing i did was lose everything i just spent the last hour working on (laughs) i love it but it was hilarious because then when spencer came home he joined in it was Mm -hmm. super easy um and he pulled a few cards right off the bat one of them was the reaper so we had to fight an avatar of death um one of them three cards in a row for him were level up cards oh cool and it was like in the perfect succession too so it was like oh you gain uh nine thousand experience oh that's enough to level up the next one's like, you gain fifteen thousand experience oh we level up next one's you gain fifty thousand experience and it's like i level up twice so he went from like level nine to like level 12 that's 
in one little one shot and he's like i'm not even what's going on and so we had fun it was it was a great time we fought some hags it was a good time thank you marcos <laughs> <laughs> um well let's uh let's move into some broadsheets mm-hmm. check that news um first up uh, we're going to talk about Adventure League, which we've been talking about more and more often recently. And we will talk about it <laughs> at the end because Brian Schmidt was yelling at his phone last time. Um, <laughs> so, uh, in uh, you, oh, so I had it down that it was December, but you said this was coming out the end of October. So it's first going to be officially released. At, oh, at GameholeCon. Yeah, right. at GameholeCon. So Hole Con. Adventure League is going to Eberron uh, via a storyline called The Oracle of War. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, this is going to be first premiering at Gamehole Con, which Justice Armin is going to be going to. So, you know, look out for him there. Give him mm-hmm. some milk. Hopefully, it's cold. Um, <laughs> oh, don't spoil him. Um, <laughs> see, Justice, I can do it too. Uh, but what we've been reading and what I'm a little bit interested to see here is that it claims that this is a two-year event. Yeah. And that seems like a long time to be doing a D&D event for Adventure League, especially when they'll be sort of using it as a way to promote their current campaigns mm-hmm. um if we find out the you know the opposite of that or anything we'll of course let you know or you know you might see it and then call us liars um but one of the really cool things is that there's going to be a core storyline but then also a like these other storylines that are happening or other tables that both tables are taking part in and yeah. they're doing things that affect other tables like that's really cool yeah um it's apparently gonna be four epic adventures one for each tier play that do that so apparently what they're toting is that this is going to be a way different way that they're going to be doing adventures league than they have before which i'm kind of interested to hear about yeah no this made me a lot more interested in actually going and trying out adventures league than any of the stuff we've been talking about yeah, and to clear it up, um, the it's called the Oracle of War, and the player's guide and the DM's guide for it will be available at the end of October 2019. So probably you know, by the as time you hear this. this. Yeah. Um, but they said the first people that can play it will be at Gamehole Con. Mm-hmm. So Justice, go, go be our on-site uh, reporter and let us know how <laughs> it is. Um, our next piece of news is uh, one that we actually forgot to mention. So this is old news, new news. Uh, Baldur's Gate 1 and 2, Icewind Dale, and Planescape Torment have all released on current-gen consoles. That's four games. Yes, it is. <laughs> in two game carts. Yeah. Um, for me, more importantly, they're on Switch. And oh my god, they're so good. I was uh, so tempted to get them just like immediately. I, uh, my, my friend Kyle and I uh, went to Target, the day, or not Target, GameStop the day they came out, and got the Baldur's Gate 1 and 2 collection. Nice. And and I was, I'll be honest, I was really worried going into this. Like, ah, you know, not everything can do the the isometric, you know, combat games well yeah. on the console. They freaking nailed they it. They did? Okay. It feels so good. Like, I would almost argue, in some regards, this is the better way to play it. Ooh. Um, there are, yeah, there's some things that I'm like, I could do this quicker on a mouse. Or, you know, oh, it'd be easier if I could, you know, just select the thing I want here. Yeah. But really moment to moment it just feels good and especially on the switch where i'm just sitting on the couch and playing some dungeons and dragons while my wife's watching whatever youtube video she's watching it's probably smosh bet um (laughs) and it it i'm i'm in love with it i have to get icewind dale and planescape torment so the nostalgia filter didn't like make you feel like it was amazing and then you played it and you're like wow i can't play this no no not at all um and, and yeah, I mean, that might have helped that I played Baldur's Gate 2 this year also. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also kind of feel like that gave me, like, a better way of looking at it compared to, like, the desktop versus That's the true. console. Yeah. Um, I will say, if you've never played these games before, actually, probably even if you have, start off with Baldur's Gate 1 because they actually do a tutorial that's tailored to the controller. Hey! So... I just did my normal thing of like, I'm in Baldur's Gate 2. I just want to talk to Minsk. And then I just <laughs> pressed every button and found out what it did as I went along. Um, and I'm sure I'm still missing a bunch of stuff, so I need to go back and play that. Uh, but yeah, I started with Baldur's Gate 2 because it's my favorite. Um, and uh, like I said, Icewind Dale and Planescape Torment are also... I can't speak to those, but um, I'm pretty sure they're just as good. Yeah, I kind of <laughs> want to play them simply because I know those things a lot like i i I know that a lot so it's like i want to i want to play in it yeah (laughs) um so those are definitely gonna be the next ones i pick up but those are out now and i highly recommend them Mm -hmm. um check out a few reviews some videos if you're unsure because again these are older games uh baldur's gate one came out in 99 2000 somewhere around there so they are kind of dated but my god they're fun Mm -hmm. uh also they're on second edition rules so you know have fun get used to that low (laughs) ac score which 
means you're better. Who golf? Oh, <laughs> Anywho. Uh, the last uh, bit of news that we are going to talk about is uh, actually the, uh, the a survey that went out recently from mm-hmm. uh, from dozens from Wizards of the Coast. Yeah, um, it says extra extra. The D and D team wants to know uh, what makes you play Dungeons and Dragons. The setting, character customization, shared storytelling with friends, iconic art. Uh, they have a survey out uh, that wants uh, that basically says take our survey to help shape the future of what we're working on yeah. at Wizards. And please retweet. We did retweet it. Uh, I will retweet it again. I will retweet this a lot because this, I think this is a really important thing to do. Just like the surveys for the classes, this m- might you know, end up shaping what we get out of future campaigns, mm-hmm. future supplements, even maybe even release schedules. Yeah. So, I mean, if you've got some strong opinions yeah. or if you love everything that they're doing, fill it out. Yeah. And, and really, like, if you need evidence that this sort of stuff matters to them, Look at Curse of Strahd and Storm King's Thunder. Yeah. When Curse of Strahd came out, everyone instantly fell in love with the sandbox uh, way it was going and praised it so much. Wizards, during development of Storm King's Thunder, went back and made it just a bit more sandboxy yeah. because of how the response to the Curse of Strahd. So they do listen. And uh, I, I highly recommend going and taking this uh, survey and helping them out. Certainly. Um, we have one piece of dungeon keeping. It's just a repeat of last week. I was on Respawn Aim Fire this week. And I even got to do the intro, which is pretty cool. Thanks, Holden. <laughs> You're awesome. Um, and uh, yeah, we talked about uh, a bunch of crap uh, like Fallout 76 kind of shitting the bed. Oh, yeah. uh, Google Stadia, which I <laughs> realized I was a little bit more harsh on than I probably should have been. Oh. Uh, along <laughs> with a bunch of other stuff. It was a really fun episode. Uh, it was me, uh, Holden, and Asa. And um, I, I think I retweeted it earlier. So go take a listen if you like you know video game stuff because mm-hmm. you know it's fun and yeah. cool and listen to their podcast <laughs> <laughs> but that is all of our broadsheets and dungeon keeping oh my god we actually do have two <laughs> of our own titles for those now that's great yeah <laughs> uh let's move into topic number one so trevor and i both have this pretty pretty book <laughs> hydra 64 i love you you are so good i still believe that you listen to this even though i'm probably wrong but god it's so pretty yeah it's gorgeous it has that metallic sheen to all the dragon heads and it's like it's gorgeous so, and so let, let, let's take a step back in case people uh, missed out on uh previous things or announcements they recently um Put both the Horde of the Dragon Queen and the Rise of Tiamat into one collector's edition book mm-hmm. under the title Tyranny of Dragons, which is what that storyline was titled. Yeah, it was um, the first campaigns released for 5e. Yes, yes it was. Uh, and uh, so they put it into one book with the awesome, freaking cool artwork from Hydra 64. He's yeah. been doing the, um, he did the collector's edition art cover for Descent into Avernus. For Xanathar's Guide. Yep. And also the um the three core book. Yeah, the, uh, the gift set. Yeah, yeah, the gift set. His artwork is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And I mean, if there's one reason to get this, it's just to have it on your shelf and looking real pretty. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, this is an old campaign that is uh getting a re-release. And it's also the main reason it's getting the re-release though is because it is the five year anniversary of it coming out. Yep. Uh, which means, Allie, we played this five years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind of crazy to think about. <laughs> um, but we wanted to give some impressions. This isn't a review. This is uh, we we're gonna dedicate a whole episode to this one uh, because I think we both have a lot to say about it. Yeah. Uh, but we wanted to give our impressions of the collection and mm-hmm. what we think about it. Allie, what do you think about it? So, first, just glance like i already mentioned the art it's gorgeous but that's just the cover mm-hmm. um honestly i'm really happy that this is released into one single book because this is the only adventure that was separated into two books really well from what i understand th- that was actually supposed to be the format oh really yeah they were mm. going to they because when they released fifth edition they were kind of sprinkling out content like they released the starter kit by itself and that's it that was right. the first thing of fifth edition came yeah out. Then the player's handbook. And then the month after that, the monster manual. And then the and month then after that, the dungeon master's PNG. guide. Yeah. And then the month after that, Horde of the Dragon Queen. <laughs> and then I think Rise of Tiamat didn't even come out until January or February of the next year. Yeah. Like, they, they staggered this out. And from what I understand, the point was to stagger out these releases throughout the year. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, that's also why um, uh, the Sword, Sword Coast Adventures Guide is a smaller book. Yeah. Is because they were trying to piecemeal out. Now we get, you know, about two books a year. We're now averaging three. Ish. Ish. <laughs> yeah. Um, so th- this was supposed to be, from what I understand, the-, the format of the campaigns. Okay. That they were going to split them up like this. I'm so glad they stopped doing that. Same. Yeah, because that would just would have been a lot of money. And for a continuation of a story that you definitely want to play, understandably, business perspective, that's great. But from oh, a yeah. consumer perspective, uh, but... Yeah, because here's the crazy thing. Both of these... So so I have the, the yeah. two individual books here. These were $30 a piece. Yeah. Which means this co- these two books cost $10 more than this gorgeous book right here. Yeah. And let's see. So aside from it being in one book, um, they also released it with a new concept art section. Mm-hmm. And if you remember me when we were talking about the Avernus book, I live for concept art. And this one has... A lot of really cool stuff because it has concept art from the dragon heads itself and the two d- different dragons that they have throughout the entire book. And then they also have for main ba- villains and bad guys and faction agents mm-hmm. and also just scenes too, like Dragon Spirit Castle, Tiamat's Temple. And it's like, it's this really cool concept art section that. I really wish they keep up this theme because it really kind of brings in the concept that Dungeons and Dragons is not like this huge corporation. It is made up of people's imaginations. Mm -hmm. And I really like seeing into that peak, you know, the peak of different people's imaginations. My favorite thing is like each one of these dragon artworks is done by a different artist. Yeah. And then they go into like more detail. Like they have this one on the, the dragon masks and all that stuff. Oh, yeah. No, it's, My favorite it's really one is cool. actually where they show the cult of the dragon mask, like the different varieties of them. They're different outfits as they gain rank, tattoos they might have, um, cult of the dragon decorative regalia options and stuff like that. Like, it, yeah. If I had had this, I could have played up the cult of dragons so much more than I did. Yeah, it gives you more of an insight into it more than just a stat block. Mm-hmm. And then the last couple pages are these hand-drawn, sketched-out dragon images that remind me a lot of 3.5 yeah i mean like even like the very first page is just this huge red dragon pulling like a hobbit that's that's the image for <laughs> D next yeah yeah that, that was one of the first images we ever saw of fifth edition mm-hmm. and it's just it's gorgeous it's fun to see all those and so yeah. that's probably one of my favorite like first impressions of this entire book um another good first impression that you'll get as soon as you start thumbing through this is that the uh, intro part of it is much longer. Yeah. They, I think we counted 15 pages. Yes. It is a, a combination of Horror of the Dragon Queen, which admittedly is one single freaking page, <laughs> um, and then Rise of Tiamat, which got a little bit longer and was talking about the factions and stuff. But the good news is that they kind of corrected stuff and... Because, like, Rise of Tiamat had an overview and outline of that book, but Horror of the Dragon Queen didn't. So they went back and actually added a whole outline for the entire thing of of both books which is really good and i think is going to help newer dms because you know this is that that first campaign like in the uh the god the timeline of the campaigns this is what kicks everything off yeah there are hints and references and connections in almost every new campaign that comes out Mm -hmm. to this book there's connections in um uh, sent into Avernus to this book. Yeah, I mean, technically, Storm King's Thunder wouldn't have even happened if the Tyranny of Dragons yeah. didn't happen. I think the only one that really doesn't is Curse of Strahd, but yeah. that would have been really hard to do. Yeah. Um, so that that's that's like the first, like, you crack the book open, you see some stuff, impressions of it. Mm-hmm. I do want to come in with a few complaints. Yeah, and I, I'm just going to say this right out because I haven't ran this game yet. That's mm-hmm. one of the reasons why I bought the book is because I do want to run it. And so, but I did play in it however mm-hmm. this is my first time really looking at the books mm-hmm. <laughs> since they came out the the probably the first negative first impression i have is they still kept it on that really weird paper yeah um all the new campaigns are on this really nice slick glossy paper uh and it feels high-end and stuff like that and one of the things i always hate about the the old tyranny of dragons books is that they're on like they're on thick cardstock, but it's not glossy and it's not really that pretty, especially when it comes to artwork. The artwork ends up looking kind of 
you know, bland and a little bit blurry because it's kind of bleeding into the paper. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't even realize that. That's totally true. Yeah. Because uh, I noticed at first, like at first feel, the pages did feel different, but yeah. I didn't understand why. <laughs> yeah. And I was really hoping with this re-release that they were going to reprint it on really nice paper. However, I do understand that this book would weigh a freaking ton <laughs> yeah. if it was on that paper because it is two books together. But, you know, first impression, you know, oh, my God, beautiful artwork. Open it up. God Dang it, it's the same paper. <laughs> um, so that was that was pretty disappointing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the other things... Now, the, the, I, I will say this is a good point and a bad point. Good point. They did go in and change a few things. Uh, like I said, with the overview and stuff like that. They actually changed up some of the stuff in the first chapter. And they talked about this beforehand, that they were going to... Uh, what's the word like revamp or you know yeah they were going to revisit a lot of things and adjust it yeah they were going to revisit the first chapter namely uh with greenest which is one of the biggest complained about parts of the book yeah which i think was fine <laughs> i i actually yeah. really enjoyed greenest i think you came in after greenest yeah yeah I did. um and but when i when i opened the book and i'm like oh cool i'm ready for this revamp thing i looked through it and went what 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 is different i had to go to reddit to find out what was different mm-hmm. and it turns out all it is is you hit level two before you get to the keep and they changed up some numbers in terms of kobolds that show up so not really adjusting the part of the adventure itself but more so just the details the semantics of it yeah and because like i know a lot of people were hoping that we were going to get a map of greenest or a little more info about the npcs that are there because we, I, if I remember correctly. There is a map of Greenest. Oh, is there? Yeah, I just oh, saw oh, it. Oh, sorry. A more detailed map of oh, Greenest. yeah. Because all it is, it's just, like, it has <laughs> one, two, three, four points on it. I didn't even see the numbers. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. So, people were hoping for a little bit more detailed map and some more de- uh, information about the NPCs. Because we really don't get any information about NPCs at all. We're just told, go talk to this person. They'll give you the quest. Go do the quest. Mm-hmm. I have no idea who they Like, I had to come up with people on the fly uh, during this one. So I understand that part of it being uh, annoying. And I do kind of wish that they'd gone in and done that. Um, and at first I was like, oh, well, maybe they just didn't touch as much as I thought. But they really did. Going through it, they rearranged uh, pictures, like, sizes of them, where they are in the book, uh, how the book's laid out. I feel uh, they, like most of the changes were to fit how they're they've been editing books recently, because a lot of the I, I'm flipping through the original books. It's like that kind of format is way different from the format that you'd read like in Tomb of Annihilation, yeah. for example. Because uh, like looking through this old one, like yeah, they have artwork that just slapped in the middle of uh, yeah. paragraphs and stuff like that, which looks cool. But yeah, it doesn't fit how they've been doing stuff. Yeah, so I feel like they mostly change the format around to fit more with the books they've been releasing mm-hmm. recently so that way it would you know feel more like the wizard's book that it should be as opposed to like here's the <laughs> what's it what's it called like the the pilot the pilot campaign yeah. <laughs> um and to be fair like these books weren't actually written by wizards yeah they're they're written by cobalt press and cobalt press is fantastic if you don't know cobalt press please go look them up they make Two, the two best third-party uh, monster manual books I've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, what is the the Tome of Beasts and the Codex of Creatures? Yeah, both of them are really great. I love them. They're so good. Um, but yeah, that that I think is one of the main reasons why the format of it is so different. And I don't think that they did quite enough in this to bring that format back to where we are right now. Um, and I'm not saying that you know Kobold pressed did a bad job. It's just yeah, it's it is if you've been playing other RPG or other campaigns in this mm-hmm. uh series, flumming through this one now is like, whoa, that's weird. That's different. And so it was kind of interesting that they didn't do as much in that regard as I thought they were going to. But then again, yeah. that's my own expectation of it. Yeah, that was but also at the same time, that was one of the things they were toting is like this is one of the reasons why we're releasing it mm-hmm. is because we're also adjusting some key aspects and Apparently not much was done, which I mean, like, on one hand is not a bad thing because Mm -hmm. it's still the story they want to tell. Yeah. But on the other hand, 
uh, if people have complained about the flow of the story itself and how it goes and how it's presented and how the NPCs are lacking and how the town needs more details, then maybe it should have been addressed in a mm-hmm. re-release. Like that was a good opportunity to get it to be addressed. But especially when this is the book that they are always telling as like, this is the beginning. This is the start. We are connecting everything to this. Yeah. This is a big moment in Faerun. And so I kind of wish that they had done a little bit more to it to bring it in. But I think, I think one of the reasons why they didn't is because, like us, we played this game five years ago. Our My entire, like, MCU-style <laughs> world is built off of this campaign. So, sure. yeah, I guess if they had brought, overhauled a bunch of stuff, I would have been a little disappointed that I'm like, oh, well, I didn't get to do that. Right. So I guess I can kind of understand it from that standpoint. But looking at it from a new player's point of view, I think it might have been better to do a little bit more to it. Like, yeah. bring Kobold Press back in, talk to them, collaborate with them, and get it into a better state than it than it was. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially with all the writers that they have now at D&D, too. And... Oh, yeah. I do like that Kate Welsh and uh, everybody's still credited in here. Because <laughs> they did help with the, the touch-up, so. Yeah. Yeah. But definitely, I mean, this is, like, their chance to bring in... Because we've been talking about it recently about how there's a lot of new people into this hobby. And mm-hmm. this is a great way to be like, okay, people, if you have a campaign that you want to get started in, this is the book to get. Oh, I didn't really. Oh, I actually did realize another formatting thing. Um, they actually, uh, th- for the the back part with all the monsters and stuff, they uh-huh. actually put it in the like yellow border stuff that we're used yeah. to. Whereas the original one did not have that. And it looked really plain. So weird. Yeah. like <laughs> that, that. That's just... Oh there. gosh, it looks like spells. Yeah, no, it really does. Like, it's hard to tell where <laughs> one of them begins and the other one ends. Yeah. So that that's nice. That I, yeah, so they, they did do formatting stuff, but it's not, I guess it's not jumping off the page at me as I'm looking through it. Yeah. Which I guess was what I was thinking it was going to be, but again, that's my own fault for kind of expecting that. <laughs> it's not their fault at all. Yeah. But I mean, uh, obviously we both bought the book. Oh yeah, no. I um, Here's the thing. I do think that this is a really good thing they did and i am happy with it i'm not mad at all about it being yeah. on my shelf um i'm still probably going to keep the two original copies of it too uh, unless someone else was like hey i want to run this and they don't print anymore then i'd give them away mm-hmm. um but yeah these are they, these are really cool and i i'm happy they did this yeah because again it's better that it's in one book Definitely. And it's perfect for people that are just getting into the hobby or people that got into the hobby too late, like me, uh, DMing wise, at least. And you never had those books. And so this is like the perfect opportunity. And that, but I will say that is one thing that I'm curious about Hmm. is, so this is the collector's edition cover and everything. This is the only edition that they did of it, of binding them together. So are they going to keep that in print unlike the other collector's editions? I really hope so, honestly. And I think that would be the best thing to do, but then because it's this you know, style of look, it might confuse people with why it looks different and everything like that. So... I don't know. I, I, I hope that they keep printing these because this would be the best way for people to start with it and get into the game. But if they just did it for this five-year anniversary and then it's gone again forever and then people still have to kind of scrounge to find these two books because they're five years old, that's kind of an odd thing to do. Yeah. Is it weird that I kind of wish that they had five, like fifth-year anniversary somewhere on this book? Um... Yeah, I, I I could understand the I could understand both reasons for doing it and not doing it. Yeah, uh, or at least somewhere inside the book, because yeah, it doesn't really say that at all. Because a lot of collectors' editions, like if you think like Skyrim or anything like that, they say like, oh yeah, like Game of the Year edition, or like they explain why it's re-released or why it's mm. different somewhere on the. Oh, you're saying cover. for people who don't understand that, yeah, that probably would have been a good thing. Because like you're saying, like what there'd be people would be confused why it looks different. It's yeah, like, like it could have said like Tyranny of Dragons Anniversary Edition or something like that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then that would have been like, oh, cool, this is an old thing. I should get that. Yeah, that would exactly. Have been, that would have been a pretty good idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, any other thoughts about the this pretty cool, awesome-looking book? No. Um, I'm really excited to, to read it and play it. Okay. Well, um, if you are interested in this, uh, it is available exclusively through uh, local game stores. Mm-hmm. Um, I do know that uh, some game stores are selling them through Amazon. Uh, that is how I had to get mine because, again, the whole West Coast delivery thing screwed up uh so yeah uh try and find this one it is super cool and especially if you like tyranny of dragons uh i think you'll really love this book 
yeah. Uh, we will eventually do a review of Tyranny of Dragons. It might be the next one. It might not be. I don't know. We'll figure it out. Depends on how fast I can DM. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, so, yeah, the, we'll we'll do a full review of Tyranny of Dragons mm-hmm. at some point. But we wanted to give you our impressions of this book first. Yeah. Uh, but now, I think we're going to move over into some DM's Guild Spotlight. And this one is going to be on DM's Guild this time. Yeah. Oh, um, this is probably too late, but there it looks like there's a Halloween sale going on. Oh, yeah, two <laughs> days left. It's already over, but, you know, I'll retweet that so maybe you guys see that. <laughs> um, but our DM's Guild Spotlight for today is going to be Baldur's Gate Notice Boards. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've been seeing this a lot on Twitter, and uh, it's up in the, you know... Um, popular one for dm's guild and so i took a closer look at it and my god this thing is super cool especially if you're going to be running uh baldur's gate to send into avernus as is yeah this could really help out your uh start of the game so uh according to the, uh the you know information thing it says uh this product includes 16 quests presented on four notice boards nine original maps eight bounty hunts with uh new stat blocks also on notice boards 57 random encounters, as well as a table of 90 inns, tavern shops, and shady dens in Baldur's Gate. The templates for the notice boards and the separate notes are included in image files as well. And what this person did, they actually have, like, you can print out a notice board looking thing with the papers stuck on them that have, like, artwork drawings of wanted boards. They have handwritten, uh, you know, bounties and quests in different styles of writing and everything so you can put these out to your players and go which one do you guys want to do that's really cool i love i mean like i'm a i love props oh yeah and that sounds so cool just Mm -hmm. printing it out pasting on a piece of cardboard and be like all right guys you fall you you find this at the center of the story it's like oh oh (laughs) yeah and like this look like the they have a few previews of the map it looks uh very um uh Dyson logo see okay uh there's some really cool artwork and the format looks super nice um so yeah I I, I think this is a great thing to do if you're not even even if you're not doing descent to Avernus, if you just want to have some Baldur's Gate stuff this is a great introduction to that city that sounds amazing because I mean like other than descent to Avernus, no other book really covers Baldur's Gate and so no. this sounds like it has a lot of stuff. And you said like fifty-seven random encounters. It's like, uh, yeah, fifty-seven random encounters, and the ninety yeah. uh, inns, taverns, shops, and shady dens. Uh, it's a table. I love that. That's I love amazing. tables, as we'll get into in a little yeah. bit. I love tables. <laughs> um, and so I think this is gonna uh, gonna be a really cool one to to have in your collections uh, for third party content. So give it a look. Uh, again, it is Baldur's Gate Notice Boards. It's written by oh god Christian Icorn. Hey mm-hmm. Icorn, I got that. Uh, it's nine ninety five right now. I think that's totally reasonable price for the amount of artwork, effort, and writing that went into this thing. Yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah, yeah, give them a look. Um, and uh, we'll do a shout-out post on Twitter that will link you to it, as well as to uh, whatever Christian Igorn has going on. Yeah. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, now, topic number two. Now, normally we dedicate a whole episode to a review, but we decided <laughs> to do Tyranny of Dragons also, so this might go on, or who knows. Uh, we are going to be reviewing Xanathar's Guide to Everything. Yeah, uh, this is the first supplement that we're reviewing, uh, so it's not going to fall into that campaign <laughs> ranking and reviewing. Mm-hmm. Uh, might fall into its own ranking and reviewing. So, spoilers, it's probably number one. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so this is a supplement book that has suffered both players and DMs, and so we want to talk about them separately first before kind of going mm-hmm. over the overall thoughts of the book. Yeah. Ali, where did you want to start? I think it'd be great to start out for things that would be helpful for the players um, because there is a lot. And like, I know it's also, it's going to be sprinkled also into the Dungeon Master's tool section of the book, but it's also really helpful for players in general. So essentially, let me say that the player's handbook does a lot for players. I mean, that's his namesake, but it does kind of leave a lot of things vague. Um, and... I'll get into exactly what I mean by that later, but one of the beautiful things about Xenothor's Guide is that right out the bat, it gives you brand new character options. Mm-hmm. Um, they kind of took several of these from the Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide, and they put it into one convenient book, along with a lot of the spells that are in here too. But um, they have new character options for every single class. 
Um, some get more than others. Like the rogue, for example, has one, two, three, four, five options. Or I think, no, four options. Four options, yeah. It yeah. has the most out of all of them. Yeah, and then, like, I think the druid... Yeah, the druid only has two. And yeah. so... I think the wizard has one. Wizard has war mage, and that's about it. Yeah. Um, And which is interesting, because the Sword Coast Adventures Guide had, like, two or three options for the wizards. Mm-hmm. But... Honestly, these are probably my go-to pick for character options. Well, and, like, whenever we talk about, like, especially for Adventures League stuff, where it's mm-hmm. like you get the player's handbook plus one, I usually go towards the Xanathar's Guide because these class options, the archetypes here, are actually a lot of fun. I just opened up the page and I now felt really dumb and stupid. It's Hydro 74. That did the... Oh. Yeah, it's not Hydro 64. It's you Hydro said 64 7. earlier? I've been saying 64 oh, the whole time. I'm so <laughs> dumb. I'm sorry, Hydro. Your artwork's so pretty. Uh, let's go over real quick what these uh, class options yeah. are. So for the Barbarian, we have uh, the Path of the Ancestral Guardian, Path of the Storm Herald, Path of the Zealot. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the Bard, we have College of Glamour, College of Swords, College of Whispers. Yes. Cleric... Forge Domain and Grave Domain. Druid, Circle of Dreams, and the Circle of Shepherds. Uh, For Fighter, we have the Arcane Archer, Cavalier, and Samurai. Monk, Way of the Drunken Master, Way of the... Kensei. Kensei. And uh, Way of the Sun Soul. Paladin, Oath of Conquest, Oath of Redemption. Ranger, Gloomstalker, Horizon Walker, and Monster Slayer. For the rogue, we have rogue. Uh, sorry, uh, <laughs> inquisitive, ma- uh, mastermind, scout, and swashbuckler. Uh, and then for the sorcerer, divine soul, mag- uh, shadow magic, and uh, storm sorcery. Uh, Warlock has the uh, the celestial, the hexblade, and eldritch invocations, which is just kind of adding in options for previous ones. Mm-hmm. And then last but not least, we have the wizard with war magic. Yeah. Um- other bonus things that are super, super helpful for, as regarding the classes specifically, the druid has learning beast shapes, mm. um, which probably is like the most referred thing in, at my table because they actually have uh, beasts separated by CR level in here and where you would find them. Yeah. So if you came from a forest and you're like a level one druid, and so it's like, oh, you've seen CR zero creatures. Well, they list them all there for you. That would be in the forest. Or if you're like, oh, I'm from the Arctic. What creatures do I know? And they Mm -hmm. tell you right there. And same for generally any other ones too. They even have swamp in there and the underdark. So like that alone is really helpful for the druids. Um, The cleric itself, they have a little tiny sidebar. Which is nice. It's talking about serving a pantheon, philosophy, or force. Mm-hmm. So they get away from the concept that you have to get your god, your, your power from a god specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like they almost threw that in there because Ravnica was coming out and we didn't know that. But anyways, it's like <laughs> they're saying you can serve a philosophy or force. So it's like you don't have to get your power from a god. It's mm-hmm. similar to how the paladin already kind of did that too, where the paladin isn't necessarily you're a paladin of a god, you're a paladin of a concept, or it's like you're a paladin to these oaths. So it's like you don't necessarily have to be from a god's point of view, yeah. which is another super helpful and optional way to play, which is everything that is super helpful. Well, that's basically the best thing a supplement can do is give you options for play. Yeah. Now... That stuff's all good and well, mm-hmm. but going back through and, and looking at these uh, classes, op- class options after the um, playtest that we recently got, I did kind of realize, man, really wish they had done some playtests before these. Yeah, because some there's of them a, are... there's not there are some bad ones in here. The uh, probably the least favorite that I've come across. Not just for me, but for, like, my friends, too. Um, the Arcane Archer. Okay, yeah, yeah. For the fighter. That's probably, like, one of the weakest things anyone has ever played. I and it think, doesn't feel great at all. I actually think, for me, the weakest one in here is the Swashbuckler. It has the least piratey theming to it, like, ever. No, I get it. Especially if you have the uh, Bard of Swords, too. Mm-hmm. It's, like... If you're going to want to be a pirate, you might as well be a College of Swords. Yeah. Because that's actually a better pirate than the Swashbuckler, mm-hmm. which is kind of sad. Um, and, like, I that's one of my main characters. I'm a Swashbuckler. Mm-hmm. But it's 
it's no spells and so you're kind of just being a pirate and you're in there and you're using all your inspiration to boost yourself really and it's like uh okay this isn't really a great plan but there's still nothing in there that feels like oh i am a pirate it's just you have a different kind of roguiness yeah the the main benefit is that you don't need one of your friends around you to get sneak attack yeah that's pretty much the main reason why people go for swashbuckler but like it's also there's no, there can be no other creature within five feet of you. So like yeah. even if there's a bad thing, like you can only attack that one thing that's by itself. And it's just I don't know, like the stuff that you get level to level is just kind of boring. Mm-hmm. And really, that was a lot of what I saw through this book. Um, one of my other <laughs> ones that I really wish were done better was the Celestial Warlock mm-hmm. in concept and the theme of it i absolutely fucking love because it's like my patron can be a unicorn yeah and what is better than that you know you don't have to be an edgelord to be a warlock anymore how amazing oh my god and it's like but then all they get is a few d6 of heals that they can do once per long rest Mm -hmm. and it's like if you have any other kind of class that does any kind of healing at all they're gonna do it better than you now, on the flip side, shadow magic for sorcerer is freaking cool. Yeah, no, like, I have uh, a shadow sorcerer in my campaign, and he is really amazing. Tara played one through uh, Dragon Heist, and I freaking loved it. Mm-hmm. Like, there was so much cool stuff. I like, because there are a lot of good stuff in here. Like, uh, you played a cleric of the grave. Yeah. And that was so cool. No, toll I, I the, totally love that. Was it Toll of the Dead or whatever? Oh, my God. So. Well, yeah, that's one of the new spells. Yeah. Yeah. So good. But then you also, at the same time, have the Forge Domain, which is not very good. Yeah, again, that's kind of going along the lines of, hey, it doesn't need to be a god. It could just be, like, a philosophy yeah. of, like, you know, you're building things. Which I was looking at, and I was like, oh, well, this would be a neat way to, you know, buff people. But at the mm-hmm. same time, it's very limiting. Yeah. Um, the I think the three bard colleges. I think bard is probably the one that gets out of this book the best. Yeah, where like uh, all of its stuff looks fantastic. I've had people play all three and love all three for mm-hmm. their own reasons. I think you had people play all three in the same game. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like it. Yeah. <laughs> um, probably one of the most powerful ones that people have come across is the hexblade warlock. Yeah, uh, that one gets played a lot uh it has a lot of utility and it's a really great striker kind of concept um and people go for it a lot when they want to go for like an edgy character but one that also can handle themselves Mm -hmm. so oh yeah i guess guess warlock kind of made it out here pretty nice too yeah like the the hexblade definitely and the new eldritch invocations are actually really nice yeah yeah they are um because there are kind of limiting like invocations in the player's handbook but this one just opens up for you and you can kind of really as if you didn't need to customize your warlock more, um, you could. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> the warlock path has so many options for customization. And granted, there's only really two optimized paths, but that's still one of the most customizable paths, that, yeah. like class that you can go for. And this just opened up way more options for you. Um, beyond the archetypes, though, mm-hmm. something that I probably bust out Every single time there's a new player and we are actually building characters and we're actually going in and learning how to play and everything like that. If I don't just hand them a pre-made character and we're actually, you know, building characters from the ground up, I actually go to page 61. This is your life. Straight out the bat. Um, It is this beautiful character creation concept for backgrounds. Not the technical background aspect of the character itself but where they came from who they were before they decided to be an adventurer why they became a druid why do they where were they born how many parents do they have and i like that they do this like not just like for like stuff like childhood memories uh or childhood home but then they go through the backgrounds themselves like acolyte folk hero outlander but Mm -hmm. then they even go into the classes where you're like okay this is why you became a bard this is why you became a druid this is why you became a monk and one of my favorite things is actually the life events. It's oh, kind of perfect for th- people. This was the part that I was real excited to talk about because I actually did this for the Golden Pals game. Oh, you did? Yeah. Awesome. So, like, this is how Tar's character ended up having a prophecy about her. Yeah. Uh, this is how um, uh, my sister's character got tied to the Shadowfell as mm-hmm. a, uh, what was it? She was a halfling bard. But yeah. She, but, like, I guess her life event was she was found in the Shadowfell. And that's crazy. As a child. It's, yeah. 
And, uh, th- this was how Herc uh, had a connection to Asmodeus, which played a huge thing into the huge. campaign. Uh, this is why there is a, uh, a a group of assassins after Uthal to this day. Yeah. Because of this book and because of random roles. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to talk about this more later when we get into the DM side of things. But this is the perfect thing for people that are the type of people to be like, oh, can you give me your backstory? Can you send me that sometime? And the person, the player sends you a one paragraph backstory. Yeah. This is the perfect thing to help them flesh it out because it helps them understand also people that are new to role playing mm-hmm. who their character was. I I did I just realized that we didn't do this with their new characters for the current campaign and now I think I might go back to each one and be like, "Hey, let's do this again for your characters because I do I did realize that like in this current campaign, I don't feel like they that some of them are like as tied to their characters as they were before." Yeah. So this might help out with that. Yeah. It's it's a beautiful whole chapter of, that just essentially helps players figure out how to role play mm-hmm. their characters because that's one of the things that I personally struggle with. It takes me like at least two sessions to even find a voice for my character. Yeah. It's like not talking about literally like an accent or what have you, but like how they talk and mm-hmm. who they are. It takes me a while to get into it. Then there's me who shows up with four pages of backstory of yeah. voice and possibly a costume. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you have that one? Cause I'm a wizard. That didn't answer my question. Yeah. <laughs> and so brilliantly enough through all of this, um, all of these things are tables. Oh God. Yeah. My that's yeah. So um, every I, single thing in here in this section are tables. I love it. Um, I love tables. Obviously so much. you can just choose from them or you can roll for them. Mm-hmm. Like things that I especially love that to roll for are things you have no control over. Mm-hmm. Like for example, your parents or like or, or your ha- birthplace or, or your how about siblings. My, uh, my favorite uh, table in this entire book, weird stuff. Yes. Let's get weird. Let's get weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's it's wonderful, and it's you know what for the the when I post this uh, this episode, I'm just gonna post the gif of Nick Scarpina going, "Let's get weird." <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a great area to check out if you've never looked at this section because you're like, "Oh, that's a lot of tables." Mm-hmm. Go check it out, especially if you're in a campaign where you've been playing a character and you have no idea who they really are. You're just playing it to play it. Check this out, because then you'll realize, like, oh, no, I actually I actually really like this character. My character saw a ghost. They uh, <laughs> found a treasure map, and they were punished for a crime that they didn't even commit. It's Wait, so like, they're the Goonies? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, you, there's so many cool things oh my in God, this entire thing that an, would really be nice. I want to a family of orcs that go after people named the Fratellis. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> The other really cool thing that they do, though, is there are some more feats in here. This is the yeah. first time we've gotten more feats, I think, outside it of is. Um, uh, the player's handbook. And they are specific to races. Yeah, they first released this as an Unearthed Arcana way back when. Mm-hmm. And we had no clue what it was for, but I had actually lived for these feats in the UA. Yeah. Um, I immediately let my players choose them because I'm like, yes, these are amazing. And I think you should go for it because, as we kind of talked about before, like... I know it's kind of counterproductive to what we have talked about before, where it's like, uh, you know, your race shouldn't be tied to your abilities. Mm-hmm. But this one is kind of like your race kind of gives you more abilities. Like this kind of is well, yeah, a supplement like, for the ability the, score changes. This is <laughs> this is for me, though. This is where it comes into where it's just like like this one. Dragon hide. Yeah, you're a freaking walking dragon man. Yeah. Like, yeah, you are going to have something better than a human. Yeah. So in those regards, yeah, that makes sense. And I think these feats kind of highlight that stuff, like Drow High Magic and mm-hmm. uh, Fate Teleportation. Like, oh, God, I love Fate Teleportation. So Infernal hard. Constitution. Yeah. <laughs> um, so stuff like that, I think, is really th- – that's more thematic to me than a number. Than the the static ability boosts that exactly. you get at exactly. the race creation. Yeah, no, these feats are actually really nice. One of the things that I see get taken a lot, funny enough, is elven accuracy. That's probably one of the most powerful ones. Whenever you have advantage on dex, int, whiz, or charisma, you can re-roll one of the dice once. God, that's so cool. So it's like double advantage. Yeah. And that's like, I that gets constantly used in all my games. And then I actually use Infernal Constitution for my tiefling recently. And it's like, oh, so she's resistant to fire. She's resistant to cold and poison. And she has advantage on saving throws against being poisoned. 
So she's like a Dodge tank now. And it's Dodge great. Tank. <laughs> Dodge tank sounds like the new car from Dodge. <laughs> Get the 2020 Dodge tank at your local retailer. Um, yeah, no, I, I love these feats. In fact, mm-hmm. I just realized that I haven't actually purchased them on D&D Beyond. I should probably let my players have those options. Um, um, I will say a fun one to take if you're half elf, half orc, or human. Anything human flavored mm-hmm. is progeny. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll get into it in just a moment about why it's really nice. Well, but... for, first we, first we, before we do that one, um, the, 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 so there are some other ones in there, uh, yeah. some other player option stuff like the spells, uh, and oh, yeah. my, probably one of my favorite things, the names. Yeah, no, there are, <laughs> you no longer have to carry a baby name book to the table, Ben. Um, you can <laughs> bring anything you like. You could just bring the Xanathar's Guide and pretend that you had name all along for the tiefling that you didn't plan to be an NPC, and they asked, "What's their name?" Um, oh God! <laughs> I, I saw I saw a, a meme just before we got on here that had like the scene from the Joker where he's in the clown costume running, and it says a uh, random NPC I had to make up, and then the sign crashing into him that says, "What's his name?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, and they have a ton of different backgrounds as for it too. So they have. Anything from dragonborn to elves, and they have it from, like, age, too. So they have, like, child elves, because the names do change according to their, you know, canon and everything like that. The other really cool thing, because, again, this was... There is still that option of being like, hey, you can play these games with, like, a real-world connection to it. Mm -hmm. There are Celtic names. There are Chinese names. There's Egyptian. There's Arabic names. French, English, Japanese, Indian, Greek, Salvic, Roman, like... I freaking love the amount of options. Mm-hmm. And best of all, they're all on tables. Yeah. Tables. All of these names are through tables. So yep. even if you're the DM to be like, I need to make my name immediately. I'm just going to go to the French mail section, roll a D100, and I've got Nicholas. I need to remake that video of that kid's, kid that says, I love turtles, and just go, I love tables. <laughs> um, this is, yeah, I, I love the amount of player options in this. Yeah. And the spells are fantastic. Yeah. No, I mean, honestly... It has a whole new chunk of spells and all spell lists too, which are revised to these spells specifically. So like bards have their own spells, clerics, druids, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Because the Sword Coast Guide only gave us spells for warlocks, wizards, and sorcerers, and that's and some it. Some of those wizards ones were, uh, what were they like, class and race specific? Yeah, um, uh, kind of. It was more like the the Blade Singer is yeah. race specific. Yeah. But um, yeah, so it's like. The cantrips in here are freaking amazing. You mentioned Toll the Dead earlier. Mm-hmm. I no longer have any kind of bard that doesn't have Toll the Dead as a cantrip because it is such a powerful cantrip. It's insane. And then there's a lot of really fun utility spells in here as well. Um, one, Mind Spike is actually a really fun one that I'm going to be using in my campaign like next week. Mm-hmm. Essentially, it deals damage, but on a failed save, you will know where that person you hit is for like... Let's see. The, for the next hour, no matter what. Yeah. Wherever they are on the, the plane of existence. Like, if they use teleport, you're going to know where they are. Yeah. And so it's, like, it's amazing. And then there are <laughs> nice evil ones, too. Like, they really played to, like, more... Because when I first started playing 5th edition, one of the things I really wanted to play was a necromancer. However, there wasn't really a lot of options for necromancers. Mm-hmm. And so you only really had, like, a few spells. Now, they actually have a ton of really cool evil-flavored, but still necromancy spells like one of them is soul cage you literally capture a soul and you put it in this tiny cage and you can borrow experience from it you can ask it questions you can also take health from it and people can see the spirit in the tiny cage and they know it is suffering and then there's like the instant one action raise dead spell in Mm -hmm. here too which i think is like dance macabre or something like that and that is such a good spell for necromancers because instead of having to waste like a whole minute on doing something that won't be helpful until the next fight, you can just suddenly each corpse, you know, it's like up to five smaller medium corpses immediately stands up and becomes undead. And then you just use a bonus action. So it's, it's a higher level necromancy spell, but it gives an option for necromancers to actually be viable in combat. The uh, I was just looking through this like, 
Shadow Blade is so freaking cool. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't I I actually had never read that spell before. That spell is so freaking cool. It really is. And it's actually Do you want to pretty... be Mother Townsend from Star Wars Clone Wars? You freaking can be. Mm-hmm. Um there's a few more walls in here too, which didn't make the player's handbook, like wall of light, mm-hmm. wall of sand, watch out Anakin, and wall of water. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's like there's more options through these spells that again you can really customize your character to that. And I think that's kind of what this book really wanted for players was the ability to further customize your character beyond what the player's handbook could even hint at Mm -hmm. doing. Um, Let's move over real quick and talk about the dungeon master tools because it's a smaller section than the player options, but my God, are there some good ones? No, there's a lot. I'm going to start this, this section off with, with this statement. So I picked this book up because we're doing this review. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I'll thumb through it again because, you know, like, eh. And I remember, like, I, I, to my memory, I was like, eh, it was just an okay book. Holy crap, this book is good. It's really good. Like, the amount of Dungeon Master stuff in this is so good. Like, yep. they're like, hey, you know what? Let's talk about uh, just some random little things. How about falling? How about people yeah. sleeping? How about adamantium weapons? We know people have been talking about that. Tie knots. Cool. We'll talk about some tie knots. Mm-hmm. Uh, tool proficiencies and examples of how they're used. Do you want to use your yep. thieves tools for a history check? Because you can. Yeah, that's one of the things I was talking about earlier with the progeny feat that's now to humans. Mm-hmm. Is that you can now get more tool proficiencies. And this book goes into how yeah. you use these tool proficiencies. Yeah. Like... Uh, like this one, Tinkerer's Tools. It gives examples for how you can use it for an arcane or history check. Mm-hmm. Uh, what the components are, what you can repair with it, how you can craft clothing with it. Yeah. Um, I will say it does kind of lean a little bit into the concept of how 4th edition approached things. Like for 4th edition, it was like if there was a question, there was an answer for it, and that was the answer. Mm-hmm. Um, however, when 5th edition came out, they were trying to veer away from that so hard that it almost left it too open-ended, especially for all the tools yeah and especially a big part of character creation is oh hey you're proficient with these tools Mm -hmm. but you don't know anything you can do with them and it's up to the dm honestly to figure that out and the xenothar's guide really actually gives you an option as a dm like here are things you can actually do with it i think i think the big difference though between this and fourth edition because i do see what you're talking about with the fourth edition things however the difference is that this is just an example yeah it's not a hard and hard oh, strict yeah. rule it's just like hey here's what you could do with it exactly. and i think that's my favorite thing about a lot of the stuff that's in here is that it's with the exception of a few things it's like this is something you could do exactly here's an idea of what you do like they like after that they go into like identifying spells uh invalid spell targets and stuff like that and they give you actual diagrams of spell shapes Mm -hmm. so like cone templates sphere templates line templates referring specifically to the mat like the play mat like the grid yeah yeah uh yeah yeah i probably should have mentioned it like yeah this is talking about like playing with miniatures and a grid and they actually do talk about token method and stuff like that and Mm -hmm. which is something that was kind of ignored in uh, the player's handbook and yeah. uh, dungeon master guide. Like they're like, you can do it, but we're not going to really talk about it. Yeah. I mean, like it's kind of the opposite of what the essentials kit did. The essentials kit very much assumed and inferred that you were going to play this in theater of the mind. Yeah. Whereas Xanathar's guide is saying, we know you don't play it in theater mm-hmm. of the mind. And this is how the rules go for it. If you don't. Mm-hmm. Um, then they go into some encounter building, which I looked through again and it's... I've actually done it. Oh, is it? Is it yeah, good? Yeah, it's actually really well done. Okay. Um, if you go through and you do all the math, which, yes, will take a while, mm-hmm. um, it does actually add up to be a pretty good encounter builder. Okay. You could probably do it really a lot faster in D&D Beyond, honestly, but... I was doing this before D&D Beyond was a mm-hmm. thing and before I had access to it. And I was like, well, oh, this just made sense. I'm also just the cocky asshole that's like, oh, I'll eyeball it. <laughs> I know. Same here. I, I do that a lot. But during the fights that I wanted to make sure that were challenging yeah, that's a good point. and that I didn't have to pull punches or push punches, this encounter builder actually worked really well. Um, after that, by the oh, real quick, I do want to interject here. There is probably the most like hilarious piece of artwork in the encounter builder section where it's just a bunch of monsters and minions at a recruitment table and there's this guy in a business suit with a with a briefcase. Like a red case. wizard. Uh, no, there's a guy with a briefcase oh, in yeah. the middle of it because he's the guy trying to manage it all because they're like, we know managing monsters is hard. Yeah. And, like, that <laughs> is the most adorable freaking thing I've ever seen in a book. Yeah, no. Um... 
But after that, we go into Random Encounters, which is split up by region. And holy crap, it's cool. So again, all these are roll tables. Yeah. And they're not just random encounters of creatures. They're also random encounters in general. Mm-hmm. Like for the desert encounters, 21 through 25 is single file tracks marching deeper into the desert. That's yeah. it. There's no and, creature. But they also do it by level too. Like there's Arctic encounters, levels uh, 11 through 16. Mm-hmm. Like one of them is 1D3 young white dragons. Yeah. That's cool. Whereas like desert encounters, level 17 through 20 is like you get a young woodcutter racing through the forest to rescue a lost friend. And at the same time, you get, let's see, uh, one adult blue Dracolich. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> and, like, they don't skimp out on no. on the tables because there's 20 pages of these random encounter tables. Yeah. We were just talking about that with the DMs Guild Spotlight. Like, that's a lot of content. And yeah. this is a ton. Of, you could probably run a really loose campaign with just these. Yeah. Like, if people are saying, like, oh, we just want to go exploring. If that's their entire purpose is to be explorers, like, a West Marches campaign. Yeah, this would be cool for West Marches. This would be perfect for a West Marches campaign because if you didn't plan anything crazy, this is a great way to just get in there. Yeah. Uh, after that, we go to Traps Revisited, which is really neat because it did kind of get brushed over in yeah. the Dungeon Master's More guide. like Traps Explained because yeah. Traps in DMG really just kind of explained what their purpose is and they Mm -hmm. gave a few examples of traps this one actually really went into it and they gave a ton more example traps which is really what a lot of dms Mm -hmm. just want they just want some traps that they can throw into their games and there's even like a cute thing where it says making traps meaningful Mm -hmm. because i know we talked about making puzzles meaningful but traps is a thing as well that you need to consider designing traps how to place traps and also they talk about save dcs along Mm -hmm. with that too and the damage severity by level so like character one through four moderate trap would be 1d10 but if you're talking about characters level 17 through 20 a deadly one would be 24d10 they talk about like how you can scale a trap to the Mm -hmm. campaign and they also talk about spell equivalent too so it's like if a trap gives off a spell and result like a ward or something like that, it gives you like, oh, if you want it to be deadly at first level, throw in a second level spell as a trap. Yeah. And it's probably a really nice way when you're building dungeons because that's something that I also have done. I've gone in here and I've built a few... I built a kobold little mini dungeon and I used a lot of the traps in here Mm -hmm. and how they build these traps and it really helped flesh out how the kobolds were working that area because they wouldn't just throw in a bunch of crossbows yeah like traps it's like okay yeah you got to make it make sense for it no instead i was able to make like this ooze drop shaft that if you stepped on a tile the ooze would slowly fall down and before you know it you're surrounded by three of them Mm -hmm. and it's like oh well there you go (laughs) and Uh. so it's it's really nice after that, goes into some downtime stuff, which is super cool. Talks about rivals and things that you can have your players do yes. uh, in between the adventures. Uh, then goes into like buying magic items, making items, making magic mm-hmm. items. All this. Oh, probably one of my favorite ones though is like. So there is one for like gambling. Here's a way to do gambling, and here's how what they could win on yeah. their successes and stuff. Here's a thing that they could do for crime and research and. There's a lot of really good stuff in here for just when your players want to screw around and do crap. They have a table for crafting magical items. Yeah. Which for, especially now that we're getting into Eberron and such, uh, especially with the Artificer too, Mm -hmm. is super helpful. The Artificer actually handles this entire section magically. If they're not an artificer, if they're just a wizard or if they're a cleric of the forge and they want to make a magical item Mm -hmm. beyond what their class says... Yep. This is the perfect thing, and it's pretty fair, too. I need to read into it for my sister who's playing an artificer because she's had this question, so I mm-hmm. need to read through that. Um, there are actually also some common magic items, which I feel like I totally missed over last time because there's no pictures in it, and I'm a child. Um, oh, yeah, no, these common magic items are perfect for filling in uh, fun like mm-hmm. gift shops in your world. Pot of awakening, lock of trickery. Yeah, this is Staff where the of flowers. cloak of billowing came from. <gasps> yeah, I love the cloak mm-hmm. of billowing. There's the dread helm. This fearsome steel helm makes your eyes glow red. That's oh, all it does. Oh yeah, yeah. They, yep. That's in the uh, essentials kit. Uh, I, yeah. had, I had a kid get that. Exactly. And there's like the pole of collapsing. Finally, a ten foot pole that actually just you know casually 
collapses mm-hmm. into a single foot. So it's really nice. Um, <laughs> and there are, once again, more magic item tables. Because, again, love me some tables. Yes. But these tables itself are actually probably the most useful tables for dungeon masters when figuring out magical items. Especially mm-hmm. if you're of the type of ma- dungeon master to give out a lot of magical items. Mm-hmm. Because this these tables not only have all magical items separated by if they're minor or if they're major items or Mm -hmm. if they're common uncommon rare or very rare or even legendary they also have it by type so if they're a ring rod armor wondrous items staff etc or most importantly if you have to attune to them Mm -hmm. it says it right there on the table and it's all alphabetical and it's a beautiful easy glance at what you can help with your players and especially if you're starting a campaign at a higher level yeah and you're like, okay, I want to give these guys items that they can use. And so it's like, okay, I'm going to give them the Holy Avenger. Okay, that does need to be attuned, and it needs to be attuned by a paladin. I can mm-hmm. read that right now just off of this table. Um, I can also give them an Ion Stone of Agility, and it does require attunement. So now I only need one more. Yeah. So it's like, this table itself is probably one of the most useful things. If you're a magical item-centered DM. If you're not, then it's just really helpful for the players. Um... Well, I, I, I feel like we actually talked about pretty much everything in that book. And I feel like we yeah. didn't have a lot of bad things to say about it other than some of the class options. Yeah. Um, the class options were really the only partial downsides mm-hmm. to it. Everything else, it just expands everything that you wish it expanded for the player's handbook yeah. and the DMG. Um, obviously, I think this is going to get ranked at number one for our supplements uh, ranking and reviewing. Currently, yes. Um, but <laughs> I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be hard-pressed to take it down from there. I'm hard-pressed yeah. to put anything in front of it because the main reason is this is the book I would recommend after you get the core books. Yeah. After you get the Player's Handbook, Monster Manual, and DM's Guide, this would be the number one book I would tell someone to get. 100% same here. Yeah. Um. So for right now, this is the number one on our list of uh, D&D supplements. Yeah. Uh, so if you have any of your own thoughts or any disagreements that we have uh, or any disagreements with what we said, you can send those in difficultyclass at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, real quick, uh, we are going to uh, have a, one little amended thing in here uh, from Brian Schmidt who wrote in uh, last week after our episode with Ben. Uh, he said, just listen to this week's episode. Really enjoyed it. I did have two points where I was yelling at my phone, though. Can relate. I've been uh, first one is you missed the number one reason to play Adventures Lake. And I'm, I'm putting this in here. This is Trevor part. Uh, I'm putting this in here because I do think it's a really good thing to point out. And Brian is correct in yelling at his phone for us not saying it. Uh, the additional rule set is what makes your character portable. Yeah. You can take your character and their magic items uh, and play at any other Adventure League game anywhere. You can play uh, the same character you play every week at a convention and every magical item uh, you find at the convention back home with you to your weekly game. That is a fantastic reason to, uh, to do Adventure mm-hmm. League. And it does really make it feel like you got this character and I, I can see yourself being, being more connected to it because you're going to these different places and you feel like you're actually traveling yeah. as that character. Um, the other thing, um, I won't read in detail, but basically he wanted to point out a, uh, a game system called Gumshoe and uh, the fact that it has a lot of game options with it, uh, such as Trail of Cthulhu, Ash and Stars, Delta Green, and uh, Knight's Black Agents. Uh, so... Uh, he's been saying that when we talk about other systems, he's sad that we haven't talked about this. I'm sorry, Brian. I still haven't looked into Gumshoe yet, but I pro- I definitely will after this. I have heard of it, but yeah, I haven't personally gone into it. I, I've heard of Delta Green. Uh, so, like, I, I know of this one, but I haven't looked into it. Uh, but Brian gives it a, a very, very big uh, endorsement here, so I'm going to take a look at it. He also says that he's going to uh, talk about the show on his Facebook page, uh, which is facebook.com slash Dungeon Notebook. So you might take a look at that, too. I, I took a glance at it. There's some pretty cool uh, stuff on there. Mm-hmm. So, you know, go, go say hi to Brian. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so that, that's all we got out of our, of our listener questions for this week. So, yeah. Well, that was our show for this week. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to support it, the best way to do that is by leaving a review on your service of choice, as well as telling your friends about the show. If you'd like your questions, advice, or stories read on the show, send them into difficultyclass at gmail.com. And if you'd like to stay up to date on the show, you can follow us on Twitter at difficultyclass and on Instagram at difficultypodcast. So until next week, don't get killed by a literal five-headed dragon. Thank you.